Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 449. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please do visit evergreenpodcast.com. I'd also like to give a shout out and thanks to Ant1 for the five-star review put up on Apple Podcasts. This week's interview is with Claire Boonstra. Claire is a Dutch entrepreneur who co-founded the acclaimed Layer, the augmented reality mobile platform that was sold to Blipar in 2014. In 2012, Claire founded Operation Education, a non-profit organization enabling educational leaders to lead the change. In this conversation with Claire, we discuss the amazing World War II story that united us, her founder story and lessons learned at Leia, the value of emotions, and most saliently, her deep-rooted mission to transform education, a powerful purpose. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Please do consider to drop in your rating and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show with Claire. Claire Boonstra. Wow. It's been quite a while since I've wanted to have you on my show. You're a lady who's an entrepreneur, co-founded this wonderful startup called Layar, and, and now you are on this super interesting journey around education. In your own words, how would you like to describe yourself, Claire? Well, thanks, Minta. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm basically a world citizen, um, really uh, engaged with what is happening actually um, on the planet, in society, with people. Uh, and I have gained a lot of life experience um, in which I had a lot of question marks above my head saying, hey, this is not logical. Um, and uh, in which actually triggered me to uh, think about where to start when we want to solve some of the biggest world problems, and that's in education. So that's why I started Operation Education nine years ago. Something that unites us, Claire, and um, outside of our interests in technology, is a story about the Second World War. Yes. And it, it's, um, it's remarkably fun, deep, deep sense of fulfillment, the notion of connecting into your, you, your family, your mom, and your story. In, in a few words, give us what, what your story is in the Second World War, because it's quite an extraordinary experience. Yeah, it is. Okay, um, in short, um, my mother, um, Katja Boonstra-Blom, she uh, was born um, in Java, in Indonesia, because her father uh, was serving on the Dutch, uh, in the Dutch submarine in the Navy, uh, protecting the Dutch, between the brackets, uh, Indies uh, against the Japanese. And um, my grandfather, so my mother's father, was uh, killed on a submarine uh, by a J Japanese torpedo. And um, obviously, it was a very difficult time for my mother uh, as a baby and uh, um, her mother, my grandmother. Um, but they survived. And um, well, they grew up uh, um, 
of course, going through a lot of struggles. Uh, but uh, 70 years uh, in her life, the submarine on which her father uh, had died was still missing. And, um, and she had set up a, um, a foundation to uh, search for the seven still missing Dutch submarines after World War II. And uh, many of these submarines had been found uh, thanks to her, um, yeah, all the things that she had set up together with some people around her. Uh, but our submarine was still missing, and which led us um, in, I have to think which year it was, uh, somewhere in my 20s. Uh, uh, my sister and I, together with my mother, went on an expedition to try to find uh, our submarine. And um, um, we didn't succeed, unfortunately. Um, however, uh, we did some ceremony and uh, we said on board that probably something still needed to happen before the submarine could be found. Well, some truly extraordinary things did happen. Uh, first of all, my mother, she knew that her um, father uh, had, was torpedoed by a, 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 a Japanese submarine. But some day she got a phone call um, from the, the commander of the Dutch submarine saying there's a Japanese guy here um, uh, wanting to uh, pay tribute to uh, our submarine because his father was also torpedoed by an, a British submarine. And he's also in search of his father. Well, this um, guy, his name is Akira, uh, Akira Tsukame. And um, when my mother heard this, she immediately tried to get in touch with him and she tried all the possible channels and she managed to get um, hold of him and they met each other that day or the, the day after. And immediately from this day onward, a very, very deep, um, deep respect, deep um yeah, relationship actually was um, born between them um, because they all were in search of their father and they all basically torpedoed each other. And um, this was very, very special. And uh, we also had uh, quite a lot of reunions as a family, as, as three families. And we planted uh, these trees on all three, in all three countries, in Japan, in um uh, in, in the UK, actually in, in Ireland, where they were living, and in the Netherlands. And um, yeah, it, it's always very um, humbling to reflect actually on uh, what happened and how how it actually, uh, well, it could all happen this way, basically, how, how we could actually be in war with each other and how we could actually reconcile and, and be in peace with each other and, and create very deep friendships. Um, and actually, uh, well, a few years later, uh, actually, our submarine was found. Um, and uh, yeah, and this story still continues because there's still one submarine still missing and my mother is still on a quest to find mm. them. And uh, well, and, and in the meantime, lots of interesting uh, cross fertilization happens, um, which she also got to meet you and, um, and you got to meet also Akira on your call so there's a lot of um yeah fruitful um exchanges happening right now nuts are still falling from the tree yeah the, yes. so the third family of course is related to the english uh, the irish based uh commander of the submarine that Ex indeed right. and and that's sorry you, you you're correct that's that's the part of the story which is still missing because indeed akira tukame um, hey, he, he told 
my mother that 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 his his father indeed was uh, was torpedoed, and together they figured out that indeed the commander of the third submarine was still alive uh, and was living in an, a castle in Ireland. So indeed, our three families went to visit that that castle and met each other there. Uh, indeed, I, I forgot to mention that part, which is probably the best part of this whole story. <laughs> well, uh, it's such a, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those vast stories with so many yeah. pieces to it. It's hard to yeah. put you on the spot and make you tell it in, in a short space, but it's certainly worth telling. And uh, I've enjoyed immensely being part, at least my little part in, in the story. So Claire, that's of course just a side hustle for you and your mum. What um, probably more important for your mum, but for you, it's a side hustle. I want to talk a little bit about Lair. So Lair is a startup which uh, you founded, co-founded in 2009 and sold in 2014 to Blipar. Give us a, the short story of what it is, where it is now, and, and most importantly, what did you learn from that lesson of the startup? Yeah. Oh, again, trying to make this short. <laughs> it was such an amazing adventure. So actually, a layer was born in the same week that my first child was born, which is interesting. Um, uh, and it actually was a sort of a product of what was already happening in that space. Um, together with um, Raimo uh, van der Klein and Maarten Lenswitz Gerald, we were already, we had created Mobile Monday Amsterdam and a company, a small company called Sparks Mobile. And we had a lot of ideas on how actually the mobile internet space could uh, help to solve a lot of the world's uh, problems or uh, could, could make life much more interesting, et cetera. And we had already um, envisaged a, a way to actually overlay a digital world on top of the physical reality. And then came the first phone, uh, the first Android phone actually with the possibility to do that because it had it was the first phone with a compass, a digital compass, which allowed you to point your phone and then the compass would know in which direction you would actually look. And then together with the GPS locator, you could actually combine those two. So that was the idea. And um, and and immediately, uh, yeah, we hired a developer somewhere far away in India, actually, uh, who he made the, the first version. And um, and Martin created a, a, a wonderful video, uh, actually, uh, which showed how it would work uh, in the city of Amsterdam, panning and just in your in your image. And then we launched it in June. It was actually the first task I had going, coming back from uh, maternity leave uh, and making this uh, a beautiful launch. And uh, we're, we're actually on the first day, the Dutch uh, media were completely silent. They were not impressed at all. Uh, but the, the day afterwards, uh, we were, yeah, the sort of headline news on all the blogs and papers we were reading ourselves, uh, which was... <laughs> Pretty awesome. Uh, so we were uh, headlining TechCrunch and and Read Wide Web and, and all these titles. And two weeks later, we had a two-page or something or mega article in the New York Times, and we were featured on BBC and whatever. It was well. You won amazing. a prize at at NetExplo. Yeah, it said well, so. So from that moment on, uh, uh, the prizes came in and all the titles and uh, the the investors were banging our doors immediately uh, so actually all the big names in investment 
uh, uh, the, the big investors were also ringing our, our doorbell and wanting to talk to us. So we actually had the luxury position to choose uh, the investors we wanted to work with. And um, yeah, so we, we, we gained, uh, we had a lot of uh, in, in, uh, funding uh, ended up having 12 and a half million funding in the first one and a half years and grew to 60 people, I believe. Uh, within a year and a half, so it was uh, it was an amazing ride, and I I guess the the, the most amazing thing was that actually that Samsung uh, pre-installed our app on all their Galaxy devices across the globe, and they used our logo to uh, to market their own phones. So wherever we went, <laughs> on airplane, on land or whatever airfield, there was our logo uh, displayed, and yeah, it was an amazing ride. Um, uh, I have to say. Um, but also we, the, the days, let's say in the, in the conception of layer, uh, it was 2009 and we already see and knew that the crisis was coming. So we literally drew the uh, Gartner's hype cycle and we said in time, we are gonna face a crisis. So we need to get a lot of investment money in right now because it will be, there will be tough times. So this is also why we diluted in a very early stage, uh, just because we also knew that we didn't have a business model yet, but we were so interesting that a lot of investors wanted to work with us. They, they really liked our team. They liked our vision. They liked the way we set it up. We worked the way we recruited people, etc. So that was amazing. Uh, but after um, three years, uh, yeah, two and a half years, three years, we still didn't have a good business model. Um, and so we, we, we changed actually, um, uh, well, we had invented a very interesting uh, business model, which was actually to uh, move from GPS-based uh, augmented reality, because that's the technology, uh, how it's called, to actually vision-based, so actually would make print interactive. And, and we had uh, created a, a tool which you could upload a PDF of a, a printed page of a magazine or a book or whatever. And you could actually place drag and drop buttons, digital buttons on top of it. And that was the layer creator. And that was actually our first uh, real business model. And because it was in the print uh, sphere, uh, actually our investors decided to hire a new CEO from the, with experience in the print, in the, uh, yeah, the, the, the print business. Uh, and that was also the moment when I uh, realized that, um, yeah, that, that a different type of leadership was needed. And also a new different type of leadership was recruited into the company. Uh, and I felt that, yeah, I needed to make space in the broadest sense of the word. And uh, that was also the moment when I started to realize, okay, what am I gonna do next? Uh, and that's when I, um, yeah, figured out I needed to do something education. But so basically Layer was still uh, active. I still had my shares uh, and actually my whole, you know, all the titles I received from Layer. I mean, I was I was nominated like the most amazing titles, like most influential women in technology, uh, top five, um, uh, you know, most influential women in mobile, uh, entrepreneur of the year, uh, whatever, ridiculous titles, um, being a young, nominated as a tech pioneer by the World Economic Forum, a young global leader by the World Economic Forum, and, and it, I can go on. So it, it became my ticket to the future. At the sale of Layer to uh, Blipar, actually, my shares were worthless. So, uh, but it was, 
in every sense, uh, the most amazing ride. And it gave me, um, yeah, it, 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 you know, I, 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 people would listen to me because yeah, I had a platform. Time. It gave you a platform. I, it gave me a platform. And I said, I call it my ticket to the future. Yeah. So, Claire, I think this would be an opportune time to do a little um, video clip that I'd like to play uh, for you and for uh, us. And it concerns your TEDx talk that you made in 2012. Yes. It was um, called On Shift to Value-Centered Education. Of course, I'll put a link in the in the show notes, but here is the clip. You're only a thing. I don't know if you can see it, but hopefully you're yes, also going to hear it, it yes. as well. I really found my calling, my, my purpose. And yesterday I announced to my team at Layer that I will be spending <laughs> my, the rest of my time, the majority of my time on this calling. And uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> emotional, but, uh, what am I going to do? I don't know yet. I, I've given myself half a year to, uh, to explore first and to, uh, I want to share, I want to hear from all of you. I mean, so many things that have already been, been figured out, right? And, and so many ideas are all out there. So please feed me uh, and share with me your ideas. And um, I'm sure that we will find- Just a quick snippet, Claire, as yes. you've, I'm no doubt seen that a few times. Wondering if you could tell us about your emotion at that moment. Yes. What was going on in Claire's heart and mind? Yeah. So a lot of things happened. So actually, um, I had decided already earlier on that summer that I was going to leave Layer, but the new CEO um, didn't allow me to announce it yet to the world. Um, and I knew that I had a TED Talk planned in September. So during that summer, I had been working on this TED talk and figuring out my story, um, figuring out what I actually wanted to do in education, because it was very unclear to me. I just had some ideas and, and visions and, and wonders, basically. Um, so I'd been preparing this story and um, the new CEO wasn't aware that I was, you know, that I had this TED talk planned. And uh, actually the day before he said, okay, I think tomorrow is a good day for you to announce. And he literally didn't know about this TED talk. So the next day he came out coming out and I just don't think that um, coincidence exists basically. Uh, um, and underlying, you know, that underlying emotion was, um, yeah, it was twofold or multiple layered actually. It was uh, also publicly saying goodbye to my baby. Uh, I really feel that I'm still the mother of Layer, and together with the two fathers, Raimo and Martin, we create our baby, and we actually uh, said goodbye to our baby, and, and you know, say, please, dear new dad, take good care of our baby. So that was one of the reasons for my emotions. And the other one is also that um, this whole uh, feeling, you know, in Dutch we say it comes from our toes. Mm. Uh, um, and that's, I, I late, later in that talk said, I have to do this. Uh, and this is how I still feel about um, doing stuff in education. I have to do this. It, it feels like such a deep calling. It feels like all of my life, I sort of was preparing to do this. Um, 
And uh, it feels so deep and so fundamental and so necessary that I'm doing this. So um, yeah, that, that all contributed to actually the emotions on that same day. Yeah. Do you think it's, or did it surprise you, the emotion as it came out? Well, it, it, it did overwhelm me. Yes, I wasn't, uh, <laughs> it wasn't a plan, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. But I also um, had learned about myself. I, I said, yes, yeah, sorry, I'm a bit emotional. And of course, uh, um, I'm a quite emotional being, you know. I have uh, been into tears on a lot of moments, but it. But I also, and, and when I was still in, you know, in, in working corporates, it was not allowed and it was, you know, brought up as to be totally. a very strong person and don't show your emotions, you don't show your weakness. So I had learned to put it, push it away. But I also had learned also already by that time that my emotions, they, they come up as a, as a moment of truth, basically, when something really deep, deep touches me that I know this is true. So I had become less hesitant about um, my emotions to just be there. Um, and, and, and yeah, that, that, and, and later the reactions were really amazing. And still until this day, um, I get, I receive reactions from people saying, Oh, I was so touched. Um, and finally somebody who sees and feels the same things as I, as I do, uh, can we please drink coffee? And I literally receive thousands of personal reactions in the minutes, you know, hours, days, weeks, months, years after this talk. It's, yeah, so. It reminds me of a of the time when I broke down in, in a public audience. It was a press conference. And so lots of important people in the in the room. Uh, and and then when I broke down, the first thing is like, oh God, how embarrassing is this? Is what's going through my mind? And because you know, this is not how we roll, this is not what we do as senior executives. And and I thought and I was saying apologizing, and oh my gosh, I really am so sorry. And then you know, I was thinking that you know, this is just disaster. What I realized afterwards is that they they didn't think less of me for crying. They connected more into me. Indeed, what said to the contrary, yeah. And it's it's a funny funny thing. Of course, it's not appropriate to manipulate. It's it's not appropriate to cry all the time or anything like that. But mm-hmm. when it's that true something, it does move yeah. people. You know, it is. We are humans, and the more human we appear on a stage, wherever you know, the more we can connect because we are very emotional beings at least some of us are i am an emotional being and i know that from you know how i was actually sort of coded (laughs) and uh so yeah i i am very happy now when other people share their emotions and you know you know your intuition knows when it's for real or not of course so so yeah um and it's usually the moments when people say they break it's a mental breakdown between uh, brackets it, it's the moment when people's faces soften and their whole expression softens and they they sort of lay off their mask and become human and that little moment before where they're trying to hold it in yeah and then it just then you the bottom part of the face starts to to, to yeah. melt as you say yeah how much do you understand the future of finance 
I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. So you found your calling, and, and I'm thinking most people who are listening maybe would love to have found a calling as deeply as you have. Uh, obviously, there's no prescription, but at least tell us how you found your calling. Yeah, the funny thing is that uh, the whole topic of, of education has been in my system already for years, but I wasn't aware of it. Um, I, I did uh, um, yeah, find a, a, an essay that I wrote at age 17, and I somehow, you know, by coincidence, found it back. We are not a very structured family, so somehow it, ah. it appeared in a, in a basket full of, you know, stuff for my my teenage years and uh, and in that was you know a bundle of essays which i had to write for school you know they're not not um, literal uh, essays but just school work and, uh, and not and, not literary yeah. essays no exactly not literary but i mean uh, a school work essay and um and it uh, and and i wrote already exactly what i'm doing right now you know i wrote an essay about uh the the people that i um I know, I knew from, you know, uh, family members, good friends, people I had read about or, or, you know, which touched me, which were all in some way brilliant. They were all geniuses, but some were geniuses in math or, but were not good in language uh, uh, or some were geniuses in just exactly understanding what, you know, what would happen or understanding situations, understanding people or, and, and, but all of them uh, didn't, um, thrive in the system and they were all sort of disregarded by the system or they had many struggles with the system especially the school system and I ended up that uh, I concluded that essay with the words it would be so nice if uh, people would be able to uh, find their own or push their own boundaries um, if only this would be possible in the future if we would gain more understanding in the human psyche and wow. uh, I, uh, I received my, my, my teacher gave me a, a seven and a half out of 10 uh, score. Uh, but uh, most interesting is his remark that he wrote underneath. Um, a, a, a slightly uh, weak uh, and um, a weak conclusion, such a noble wish based on a lot of idealism, but with very little sense of reality. And um, and it's still this remark which I use in in a lot of my talks uh, because um, what I I noticed that people who work in education, teachers, almost all of them do this out of ideology, ideal, idealism. You know, you when you work in education, you do want to contribute something to the world, and it is, in my opinion by far the most impactful job in the world. There's so much impact you can have on people's individual lives. And with that, on 
you know, the future, basically, on the course of society. But a lot of them feel like, yeah, 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 I, I, I started this out of idealism, but hey, you know, can't do it, uh, impossible. And they become a bit cynical. And this is also literally what my teacher who wrote this comment, uh, what he stated in his classes, he was a, a, a Dutch literature teacher. But he, yeah, he was also teaching us about the political system. He literally said, you know, when you're young, you're progressive, you're left. And when you grow older, you become more cynical. And then you, yeah, you, you become more conservative and you vote right. And, and actually, when I rediscovered this essay, I, uh, I, we, I you know, long live social media, I, I could reconnect with him. And, and we had some very interesting talks about um, writing a good essay and drawing logical conclusions, but especially about being, you know, uh, 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 yeah, uh, somebody who wants to improve the state of the world, you know, and uh, uh, yeah, and so we had a good laugh together. <laughs> uh, he about him about you know stating this, and me about you know actually saying bye bye to this conclusion because I what I'm working on today is actually to unleash the idealism again in all these teachers and to make them feel that they are indeed capable of you know being of so much influences positive impact to people and to the world so um yeah i don't want them to, to feel cynical anymore right you mentioned politician or political thought but actually i think politicians come in with idealism but they don't go cynical they go corrupt <laughs> that's another problem not all uh, of as far as poly yeah. Yeah, of course of course not yeah. fortunately but it, it, i mean and, and not all teachers go cynical um, no so luckily not but uh, a lot of people um so what I've noticed is that, that uh, a lot of people, so very briefly, what I'm trying to do is to actually, um, uh, the, 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 the education system has become a, a system in which we actually select the higher versus lower. Um, and and our, all our tests are based on, on making that selection. And it is such a stupid <laughs> way of dividing humans into higher versus lower groups um it is it's simply not true that you can base this on a, a standardized test and i could talk about this for hours uh, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of substantiation to this but basically it's quite stupid and a lot of people know this but they feel that they are not capable of doing anything that they are um just you know uh, um, limited by the system and and because the, sim the system is simply this way and uh, what i mostly do actually the core of my work is to make people think about the purpose of education again and make them have a conversation about it because we do not have that conversation often enough we almost do not have it because we want to stay away from ideology that's at least in my country in the netherlands uh, but in most countries we do not dare to talk about it uh, and but when we do talk about the purpose of education people do have very very uh, similar answers people always stay you know at least if they if you if you ask a bit deeper and a bit further people do state that the purpose of education is to learn to uh, to understand who you are 
uh, where you stand, what you stand for, where you're heading in life, and learning to unleash your own unique and and full, maybe even infinite potential. People say that the purpose of education is to learn life together and to learn how to live together. And people state that the purpose is to learn uh, to take responsibility for your own life and for the world we strive for. And what do we strive for? Well, uh, happy, healthy, sustainable, thriving, prospering world. Right? Those are the, the answers that people typically give. And so we are very aligned on a purpose, but we don't know that the others give similar answers. So and what we, how we act is that we assume that others are not aware of this or do not think this way and assume that therefore we should not talk about it and should just adjust ourselves to how the system simply is and keep on, you know, doing things in line with the system. Um, but yeah, so, so what I try to do is to make people think about why we do the things we, the way we do. And if the um, actions are not in line with what we feel is the purpose, that we should just stop and change uh, and do not. And, and I, um, I, we, you know, with my, uh, with Operation Education, we enable, uh, we ignite, unleash and enable actually people to, uh, to bring their actions in line with what they think the purpose of education is. Mm. And, uh, and, and to make space for that and change so the system. Education is one of those topics that pretty much everybody has an opinion on. Yep. Pretty much everybody, and I say pretty much because there are, of course, um, you know, contrary examples, go to school. And, yep. and typically they have an experience and a, a yep. memory and then an opinion on what is education. Um, yeah. So it's, it's and I, I mean, I spent a lot of time in education, but in a corporate world, and it's not learning for development education. It was about actually using education to inspire, inform, and improve hairdressers. Yeah. And not just to cut hair and make you look a beautiful person, but to make them feel confident and, and, and our claim was to earn a better living and live a better life. And, and so we, we really embodied in a corporate world, even though all we were doing was selling shampoos, a bigger notion of education. So Operation Education, give us a, a look at where you are now with this project to inspire and help people to enact a different form yep. of education yeah um so operation education has actually two sides uh, one side is actually a uh, a non-profit an ngo basically uh, which um, we have a lot of programs and um yeah actually programs which we can run on schools um and when schools or school teams or uh, director teams ask us to help them to uh, improve their education. Uh, and we have programs for leaders, uh, leadership programs. And the other side, we are actually um, a movement, a, an ecosystem, as I have called it from the start, from my TED talk. I said in the TED talk, I want to create an education development ecosystem. And um, yeah, ever since that day, I've been sort of building that ecosystem, which is by default a very... Um, 
uh, yeah, an organic thing. It's not an organization. It's it's a it's a living creature basically, and it it consists of people. Uh, our ecosystem consists of people who don't who decide or choose not to feel or be the victim of the system, but to people who want to take responsibility to do things more in line with the purpose of education and who who actually yeah lead by example by creating schools or practices in their classrooms but mostly on a leadership level as school leaders uh, to change yeah, school um, infrastructures learning infrastructures where actually uh, uh, learners uh, Usually they're young people, uh, but actually learners of all ages, because also the the teachers are learners, <laughs> ideally. Learn to uh, indeed figure out who they are, uh, to unleash their own potential, to continuously develop, to learn. You know how how do we create this this um, this society we strive for? And I more and more use the word regenerative uh, to actually regenerate. Um, people to regenerate society regenerate mother earth basically to uh, uh, so to to create learning environments where everybody is continuously um, working on what I, what am i actually doing here what am i supposed what are my interests who am i, in? who, am I? <laughs> Indeed, who am i so literally so one of the schools that i really love uh, is called uh, a school uh, called agora and all the learners, they, they have three main questions. Who am I? Uh, what am I good at? And what do I want? You know, where, where, what am I longing for in life? Where, where am I heading? You know, um, and, and presumably and, linking and the, back to the initial concept of the Agora, where everyone's speaking in a democratic the, process. The Greek marketplace, basically. Indeed, exactly. That's that's why they, they chose that thing. And, uh, and, and what you see then is a, is a school uh, which even manages to exist in the publicly funded Dutch school system uh, as a secondary school. It started as a secondary school, so school from, you know, for children ages 12 to 18, and they completely let go of all the levels okay? in the Dutch system, as in many other systems, the children are typically put in, in, <laughs> in layers or baskets of higher versus lower, and they completely let go of that thinking. They put all these children of all levels uh, together and working on these, these challenges you know, and, and working on the things that they are truly, truly interested in to learn. And they're being guided by, um, by teachers. Uh, they're called Agorian masters who actually don't teach them the subjects, but who continuously question them on uh, what actually they want to learn, how they're going to approach that, that learning, who they could contact for that, and bringing, enabling them to bring them in touch with the places and the people where the knowledge lies, which they need to solve their problem or to, you know, to do their thing. And uh, actually enabling them to come into the world, basically, to learn in relation with the world, with the environment, because learning is not something you do for yourself. Learning is something that you most likely do for somebody else and with somebody else uh, in relationship to society, to the world. So when you, when you are in such a school, you just see people who are, you know, twinkling eyes, sparkling eyes, who are really... Um, engaged with what they're learning 
no, none of them would ever say that school is, you know, dull or stupid or whatever. Um, they, they, they love to go to school because for them, it's a place where they, yeah, where, where they learn meaningful things and they are self-directed. Um, and, and also the teachers are learning and everybody around the school is learning and that it's a, it's a thriving place. And yeah, it, you just feel on a deeper level that what is happening there is the right thing. It's I, um, just a exa an example. Sure. I, I wanted to uh, capitalize on the use of layer in a different context for you and how it creeps creeping back into your life. <clears throat> what um, I'm thinking about, because as you know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about education also, is it 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 capitalizes or seems to um, resonate with the Finnish system where they give responsibility to the children. There's a sort of a, a knowledge that they have to run their own education and, and are responsible for their learning. And it also makes me think of the wonderful uh, TED talk by Ricardo Semler, uh, the Brazilian who, yeah. who says, why don't we teach love in school? Why don't we teach how to make a bicycle in school and, and uh, fill out our taxes? Because yeah. that is what we need uh, in life. Yeah. What, are the, yeah. what are the, maybe the impulses and inspirations for you as, a, as you drive forward? Yeah. Oh, so many. These people inspire me. Um, so, what what I what I spend a lot of time on, uh, also in my in my sessions I do with schools and with leaders, is to uh, make people realize where we come from. So there's we we live in a in a system in a legacy system which was uh, created by a lot of people, um, by thinkers, by you know ideas which which. Uh, which touch fertile grounds in that period. For example, the whole idea that you can uh, uh, think in average and based on the average, think in higher versus lower and standardization, et cetera. I, I, um, I, I have spent a lot of time on researching actually the system and researching questions such as why do we uh, have classrooms and why do we group children according to birth year? Why do we have separate subjects? Why do we give grades? Why homework? Why uh, can children, um, uh, you know, double a year? Um, why, well, all these things. Why standard uh, teaching methods? Why standard exams, etc. cetera? And, and every question we've been researching them according to a fixed format. First of all, the history. How did it end up this way? And it, it for me and also the people I teach now, um, uh, it, it's really helpful to understand in which time period, in which context, a certain new habit was born. Uh, so you can actually relate to it and say, oh, yeah, only it was born in that time and, and it, it, a certain type of thinking. And now we have new insights so we can, you know, distance ourselves from that thinking and, and not taking it is to completely for granted, but thinking about it. So, and the other things we research are the, the advantages and disadvantages <clears throat> and the alternatives. And uh, um, so, and, and this, actually it is engineering work, right? This is figuring out how, why this is this way and how, this, how it works. Uh, yeah. um, 
so so uh, the engineer is still inside of me mm-hmm. um but also what i learned at layer so we were on this completely forefront of of technology right and from day one we needed um android programmers augmented reality experts etc and of course they could not have been educated in an institution uh, because that's not how the institutions work and that's not how curricula work uh, curricula uh, need to be built up um, in, in in years of experience and they take a lot of time to to actually be accredited and then you need time to study it and uh, well in technology obviously you're always eh, like some people say uh, it's history lessons <laughs> you know we literally uh, got people from a university uh, with their programming uh, their, their, their informatics um, of computer science and they they were still uh, graduating in um, uh, uh, what was it flash programming which was already killed by Steve Jobs four years before that but the people from the from the university said well if you know how to program you know how to program if you learn flash you can and, and my CTO he said well that's the that's that's saying the same as as if you can speak Italian, you can speak Chinese because that's also a foreign language. Right? <laughs> so that was pretty insane. So in, in layer, actually, our our stars, our superheroes in our organization were almost um, always the dropouts from school. They were the artists. They were the the crazy fools um, who would you know um, work. In the middle of the night or you know and and get up really late in the morning and come to the office with their unicorn helmet on and just be coding and 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 when we you know were such a big hit uh we received um we were for example i remember we were hiring a, a chief marketing officer and we re- we were receiving the most amazing cvs from people graduating from harvard or even the the former cmo of microsoft and like, wow we you know those people are wanting to work with us and they had these big star cvs and and you know we could not use them. they 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 could not understand our way of working so they were worthless for us um and and yeah this is still what's happening today you know so many people who are um brought up in 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 the systemic thinking in in systems thinking they 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 have a hard time um thriving in our more organic way of working and uh, to really understand what is needed here and now and yeah, that that is something that that I already learned at layer. Uh, that that's actually yeah, the best people are the ones who were self-directed, self-educated. You know, um, uh, who who were just in touch with what the world needs today. Well, it sounds very antithetical to be hiring or working with teachers who dropped out, don't have titles. It it feels more of that type of environment. In your work that you're doing, Claire, are you specifically focusing on the Netherlands? Because, of course, there's, you know, we talk about Finland being a bastion, yeah. the Asia yeah. system of education, and so on. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your ambition with Operation Education? Yeah, so um, I did choose an English name because I've always been uh, and felt internationally connected. Um, and it is a global quest. Um, uh, yes, every country and every system has its own uh, 
yeah, specifics basically, but still globally, we do more or less the same things. We all use the PISA uh, uh, ranking system, uh, the same standardized tests basically. So uh, uh, it is a global phenomenon, uh, but I, I, for practical reasons, also having uh, three children <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the time that I actually built up uh, all of this, um, uh, yeah, I, I want to be close to home. And uh, nowadays, well, with the pandemic, you know, it's still, uh, it, it's, it is much easier to work globally uh, from home. But um, uh, I, I st still see that, that, you know, the way the things we've built up and the things we've learned here in the Netherlands will have its international reach and its international usage uh, someday. And I'm, I have been giving keynotes in German uh, for the German people uh, and of course i have been on stages in uh, all places in europe and i still receive reactions from my TED talk uh, from all across the all across the globe but mostly is um and we're talking about a finished system but it also has its flaws obviously uh, sure. it is not the ideal system and it it works in the finnish context mm. in the finnish history and you know every country has its own context and what we should not forget is that yes the people who are leading the change are usually the ones who have not been uh, conditioned with the system that much who have but also most of our work is to actually um, realign people with what they have inside of them also the people who have been conditioned in the system there they are most of them are capable to you know sort of get the system out of themselves and and realign with what they truly feel is the right thing to do so it is there's a lot of transformational work we actually yeah we we unleash the transformation of the system we accelerate the transformation of the system and and mostly it starts with the transformation of humans of people uh, because all of us have in some way been conditioned by this is simply the way it works um, so, so that's that's most of the work we do, and and also, uh, yeah, it it is just a big celebration to um, to yeah work to see people uh, thrive again, and to see them blossom, to see them get the twinkles back in their eyes when they actually uh, yeah find themselves back again and and find their purpose again and and live. And, and put the, the things that they believe in into practice, and especially when it comes to education. So we, you know, of course, there we need these these radical transformers and these pioneers because uh, they, yeah, they just do it, you know. <laughs> and most others, they, yeah, no, they need to be uh, uh, ignited, basically, and that's a lot of work I do: ignite, unleash, and enable. So yeah, Steve Jobs, I think he says with the. We are the crazy, crazy people. Ones. Yeah, indeed. You in, last. Uh, I, I, I did want to get into the ecosystem, and I just want to quickly ask this, which is that the ecosystem, I assume, has to include society broadly, government, parents, yep. because education isn't just about learning academic stuff. It's it's, it's about not. life and. And if the parents aren't in, enrolled in the system, then that's going to cut things off very quickly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, by default. Uh, um, I mean, I'm, I'm studying a lot of, you know, how ecosystems work and how, you know, tribes and, and regenerative cultures. And I read and listen a lot to people who work on that. Um, 
and and there's a lot we can learn from nature and and a thriving ecosystem by default consists of a lot of different species a lot of different perspectives a lot of different yeah types of people uh different backgrounds so um yeah it, it, it is obvious um so we we indeed try to have as many different thinkers as possible or, or doers and visionaries and actors and uh yeah so um indeed and and it, it and, and the, the 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 interesting thing is that we are figuring out while doing how how we do this you know how how do we deal with money in this ecosystem world uh how do we structure it how do we skill because i have always seen uh, or wanted to be an, an exponential organization you know to uh, and not be become exponentially large but have exponential impact and and yeah i see the exponential impact happening if we if we manage to unleash a school leader so that the school leader starts to lead by example and starts to put whatever they have on their website into practice themselves then that by default means they make space for the teachers to do that right and the teachers they lead by example to the learn to the, the students and the students they learn they, they lead by example for their uh, children and grandchildren and etc so that's how i see exponential effects exponential impact can work and and it's you know i i, I heard myself say this last week when i did this exercise on you know aligning myself and the thing we have to to work on most is is the inner transformation of people we have completely lost the sense of who we are and what why we are here and, and and what we're supposed to do in our life and we are so conditioned to look at what society thinks of us of uh, or expects us to do no the answers are all inside of us and so it's it's all starting with the inner transformation of realigning what we as individuals are here to do and and putting our own making sure that our actions become more and more in line with what we are supposed to do and also if you don't know what you're supposed to do then to be on that quest on that search and, and you know interacting with life and and you know becoming better at it basically and uh, and 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 one because once people are aligned with themselves they become like good people usually they become loving respectful uh, peaceful you know happy healthy etc it, it's sort of and it's you don't have to be happy every hour of the day you know Where's life that? is has a lot of challenges and it but it also becomes a matter of sort of uh, not only enduring the challenges but learning to uh, take the challenges as hey these are the challenges that life actually brings to me and learning to sort of almost celebrating the challenges or well, at if least... you can imagine claire that is exactly the topic of my book which is how being yourself makes you a better leader i could have yeah. said how being yourself makes you a better person um so way way on board with you uh, last question for you and it's probably the most fundamental question i think that can unleash uh, a lot of things which is how does one determine success yeah yeah it I, it is by default different for every human in every situation um in every context to me success is um more of a feeling 
of freedom, of joy, of being completely okay with life. Um, yeah. And learning from challenges, learning from difficult situations. Yeah, it's more of a, it's a, it's a deep inner feeling, I think. Um, yeah, and, and, and success, you know, for me with Operation Education is, is a, a feeling of uh, being of value for others. You know, every time that I work with a team and I see these eyes, you know, starting to twinkle and people start to... And, and people start to have the real important conversations with each other, even if they're a difficult conversation. That's when I feel success, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's about meaning. It's about purpose. Yeah, that is success. And it can be very small and very big at the same time. Love it. On these lovely words, Claire, I want to thank you for sharing your passion giving us some inspiration, also some ideas, maybe how to get the twinkle in our eyes. Continue on. How can anyone track you down, Claire, or at least participate? What type of help can anyone provide for you? What are you looking for and where can they go? Yeah, so first of all, uh, our website is operation.education. Uh, it is uh, still in Dutch and uh, we're lacking behind in, you know, transformer. <laughs> But yeah, but but it is but Google Translate does a good job. Oh, good. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, on LinkedIn, I am Claire Bonstra. Um, so those are the most important uh, sources. On Facebook, we are Operation Education Global. Um, and how can people? Yeah, you know, I'm easily. Uh, you can easily find me on uh, on on the social uh, or even uh, contact uh, uh, forms on on our site, etc. Uh, or send me an email at claire at operationeducation.nl or contact at operationeducation.nl. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, the, the most important thing you could do is, is um, uh, spread the word. Uh, you could invite me to the stage. <laughs> I love to, to uh, speak. I love to, you know, exchange thoughts. Um, and, and yeah, you know, first of all, mainly, uh, put the, the things you find important yourself into practice uh, and, and re, especially if you're a parent to children um, or learning yourself, really think about what you truly think is important to learn in life and act upon that. On and stop doing the things that do not contribute. Amen. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Dial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on MinterDial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.